Oh my goodness. How are you guys doing today? This side is doing better than this side. We will pray for you. That's all I can say. We are jumping in to the Minor Prophets. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. Today is the introduction to it. This is something I I talked with Pastor Mark. I was like, when was the last time I did an introduction to a book? I don't remember. I really don't. He, He usually takes the introduction or John's taking the introduction and they love going through the history and all of this other, and they, they love doing it. I'm like, I don't remember the last time I did an introduction. This is going to be awesome or awkward. I don't know. Anyway, so today we're going to take a, a snapshot of the Minor Prophets as a whole because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. And, and hearing David, I think David is, is probably representative of many of us. We don't camp out in the minor prophets very often, right? It's like we'll read sections of the major prophets, but the minor prophets, you know, I don't know, the redheaded stepchild of prophecy, right? It's kind of like, I know they're important, but I'll get around to them when I can. There's just so little there, you know? So the unofficial, you know, ideas that sometimes we import into the idea of what minor prophet is, maybe we look at it like majors, right? We, we have college, and you can have a major, and you can have a minor. And the major is what you're specializing in, right? And the minor is something that you, you know just enough to be dangerous about, right? So that's kind, of, that's kind of the two things that are there. I want a minor in this and know, have a little knowledge of this to go along with what my major is going to be. And I think sometimes when we look at minor prophets, that's kind of how we look at the prophets in general. Though That these minor prophets, they're, they're there, they're, we don't know as much about them, they're not quite as important, but all of that is untrue. As a matter of fact, I just want to remind you, according to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, it says this. We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The minor prophets are every bit the word of God as the major prophets are, as the rest of the Bible is. In our family, me and Shannon, of the two of us, I talk slightly more than my wife does. (laughs) All right, a lot more. However... And I, and I try to lead my family, and I try to talk about Jesus, but I have learned this, that when my wife says something, just because she doesn't talk as much as me makes the point. They, they cut important. Oftentimes, they're very poignant. They're to the point. They, they cut to the heart of the matter in a way that my many words, some of you would say obloviations, <laughs> oftentimes do not, Right? You don't get the point across. You're talking around in circles. You're saying the same thing over and over again. Shanda says it once. Everybody understands. Which words were more important? They're both equal. 
I could say it over and over again. She says it once just because people listen to her. The only difference between a major and a minor prophet is the amount of words that God through the Holy Spirit used that prophet for. It's still the word of God. I think we're going to be surprised at how much is exposed through these 12 minor prophets in these coming weeks. It's going to be amazing. I think it's also important for us to understand the idea of the inerrant word of God. And why I want to take just a moment to mention that is many times the word of God recently is being framed as man's idea about God, that it's a human book about a God we're trying to understand. The reason I read those scriptures to you right now is it's not a man book of trying to understand God. It is a God divinely inspired book using man to reveal God to men. Please understand the difference. The fact that God used man doesn't make it with error. For God can use us as perfectly as he wants to. To convey his perfect and inerrant word. In order for us to to get a better idea of the minor prophets, I think it's important that we kind of take an overview. So if you've been with us, it has been... Four years since we've been in prophecy. We went in prophecy when we started our five-year study back in 2018. It's the only year that we have been in prophecy. This will be the second year that we've done that of our five-year study. So it's been three full years and four years ago since we started our last study in prophecy. So for those of you who weren't here when we started, this will be a primer for you. For those of you who were here, this will be good review. To remind us of what prophecy is and, and the understanding of the breakup of the word of God and how that helps us understand things. So let's talk about the Old Testament and how it's broken up. And so we see Genesis through Deuteronomy. This is the five books of Moses. This is oftentimes referred to as the law because we go back and this goes from the beginning of man, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the people of God, the beginning of Israel as a nation. And we see their movement out of Egypt to become a people of their own and to the mountain of God where they pledge themselves in covenant relationship with this God. And God, who is supposed to be the head of Israel, lays out 613 laws for which this society is to uh, create the living conditions for the people who are there. Right? This is how we're going to have justice. This is God divine justice among the people who have agreed to follow all of these laws to be known as a people who are unique, separate. And the goal of it was always that the nations would notice them and come to know this God. That was always God's design for the people of Israel. The law laid out certain obediences and disobediences for the people. You know, if, if you're obedient, 
these blessings are going to follow you. The disobedience is going to have these curses that, that come upon you. This is part of that covenant relationship. It's very important as we look at the breakup of the scripture. After the book of Deuteronomy, we hit, enter the history section of the scripture. So we have the history of the people of Israel from Joshua all the way to Esther with only a repeat in First and Second Chronicles, which goes over again from Judah's point of view, Second Kings, uh, excuse me, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. This layout is very important. Know that it's very linear that you're reading through. Up until this point, it's all history from Genesis all the way through Esther. And then we come to the next section of Scripture, which is what we studied this past year, which is the poetry section. And that poetic section starts in Job. And what we find with the poetic section is just like the history section, it's laid out pretty much in a chronological type of order. Job is the first one that is written. Psalms are identified with David, and therefore is placed second in that list. And the last three books are identified with Solomon, though they're not necessarily the only ones that wrote them. But they wrote the majority of them. And so the life of Solomon encompasses the last three, not necessarily in order of his life, but that's how it's laid out in the scriptures so that we can see this is the progression of history through this section of scripture. The same thing happens in the major prophets. So when we get to the major prophets from Isaiah to Daniel, we get the same thing. Isaiah is the first chronologically of the major prophets ministering about 150 years before the fall of Jerusalem. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are contemporaries of one another, ministering at the same time, one in Babylon and one in Jerusalem, during the time in which Jerusalem would fall to the Babylonians. And then Daniel would come after that, already in exile, already in Babylon, when all of this happens, that he would be there all the way until the time the people of Israel would be heading back after the exile is over. So this is what we see. And then as we come into the minor prophets, we see the same type of setup. They go in chronological order. So we go to Hosea, and from Hosea to Micah, these were all pretty much contemporaries of Isaiah during his ministry there. And so approximate ministry of Isaiah somewhere between 750 BC to 680 BC. Not exact, but this kind of gives you that 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 movement that we see. From Nahum to Zephaniah, these min, these minor prophets ministered from about 20 to 50 years before the fall of Jerusalem, somewhere about, around 630 BC to 605 BC. And then finally, the last section of these minor prophets, Haggai to Malachi, are after the return of Babylon. Haggai and Zechariah are contemporaries one to another, and they happen pretty much during the uh, time of Ezra and Nehemiah. If you're looking historically, if you go back to the other books where they fall at, and then Malachi sometime later, no later than about 400 B.C., and this is the layout. And how that helps us is it helps us to know if these sections are laid out this way, then I can start looking for markers to identify how they interact with one another. And that's very important for us to know. 
If I don't know how to use the tool in which God has given us through the Bible to understand how it's put together, I can miss a lot of important interactions that happen between them. So, hopefully that helps you to understand how this all is kind of be framed out a little bit. So, a review of what a prophet is. So, what is a prophet? A prophet is not somebody who's into crystals and hoping to tell you about your future and all that other stuff. I think that's kind of a modern day understanding of, you know, all this future stuff is going to happen. In reality, a prophet hearkens back to the promises of God that the people of Israel have made themselves by their covenant relationship with God. They have put themselves under that covenant. Remember, if we go back to Deuteronomy 28 through 30, we see the covenant relationship saying, if you're obedient to me, all of these blessings are going to happen. If you are disobedient to me, all of these curses are going to happen. A prophet was raised up by God to speak boldly upon those things when God was bringing possible judgment or blessing to the people of Israel because of his promises. They are based, they are, they are hearkening back to the original covenant relationship we see from Genesis to, De- to Deuteronomy of the people of God, of the promises of God. And so it's to hold the covenant promises of God to Israel. It's to focus on those blessings and those judgments enforced because of obedience or disobedience. There are blessings involved, by the way. I know a lot of times when we read the prophets, it's it's like it's all gloom and doom. We're going to read some prophets who have blessing for obedience for the people of Israel because those things are promised as well. And the prophet wants to encourage the people of Israel that they need to continue in this way to continue to receive the blessings of God. But oftentimes what God has given to many of the prophets of Israel, because if we look at the obedience section, it's like 14 verses long. The disobedience section is like 65 verses long. You know why? Because man's heart is wicked and sinful and wretched and who can know it? And we are bent toward doing evil whether we want to admit it or not. Israel was no different. God's law says this. Well, I'll try and find a way to get around it. So I don't have to do it. And I'll try to justify it in this way. And I'll just do what the rest of the culture is doing. And I'll do what what the nations around us are doing. and, And I'll justify being able to live this way. And so there were a lot and lot of warnings by God not to do those things. And guess what? Israel did it anyway. And when those times would come, God would raise up a prophet to let him know that I'm going to enforce my covenant relationship with Israel. And he would be very specific. He would begin mentioning the means by which this punishment would come by. The nations that would come and plunder, which were promised in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. All for the point of trying to bring them, as it talked about in Deuteronomy 30, back to the point of repentance, to turn away from those things so they could again receive the blessings of God. 
That was the desire of God in doing this. So as he raises up these prophets and he tells them the means by which judgment is going to come, by which nations are going to come forth, sometimes hundreds of years in advance of this actually happening, when it finally happens, they point back to that prophet and say, he told us, he told us, and the whole reason why was to turn the nation of Israel back to God, back into that covenant relationship between God and Israel. And the third thing that a prophet did was to point to the ultimate fulfillment of all prophecy found in Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the promises of God. He's the one who institutes the end of the first covenant by the shedding of his blood and the coming of the new covenant by which we are under now. These are the things that a prophet did. It's a very important role, and not everybody got to do it. And it's important for us to realize this whole idea of the minor prophets. Oh my goodness. What would life be like if we were left without the words of the minor prophets? And so I just kind of compiled a list right here uh, of this idea of what we would be missing. Think about what's mentioned concerning the coming Messiah by the minor prophets. The birthplace of Jesus and the nature of the Messiah foretold in the book of Micah. The flight to Egypt And the fact that the Son of God would be coming out of Egypt in Hosea. And I'm not giving you specific references because I want you to be looking for them as we read it together. The messenger who comes before the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah in Malachi. Not to mention the teachings of Jesus directly based on the minor prophets That Jesus himself quotes Hosea and Jonah and Micah. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Zechariah. The betrayal of Jesus and the exact amount of money he would be betrayed for. Also found in Zechariah. The abandonment of the disciples on Jesus' arrest. Found in Zechariah. The allusions to the death and triumphant return of Jesus. Also found in Zechariah. You guys kind of getting excited for studying Zechariah. Last four have been through him, right? The day of Pentecost. The book of Joel. We go through the history of Acts and the early church and the epistles teaching directly based on the minor prophets. We would have the books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Direct quotations, direct teachings, direct allusions straight from the scriptures. 
and the return of Jesus and the end times judgment from Joel, Nahum, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. When, when I look at this list that I just laid out for you, that's pretty much the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his coming return. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ found within the minor prophets. We can find Jesus in the minor prophets. How cool is that? That's pretty cool, don't you guys think? Not something we should be overlooking. Not something, we, it's not minor league prophecy here, people. This is all about the word of God coming true, him using these prophets as much as he used the major prophets. Because no word of prophecy ever came about from the prophet's own interpretation. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God about God and his people. And it's not just that. I mean, that the history of that is just amazing. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right there in the minor prophets. But think about what's taught through the minor prophets as well. So the subjects that are covered by the minor prophets in the New Testament, that the that either Jesus or the apostles are pulling out for us to understand come directly from these Old Testament prophets are still binding and relevant for you and I today. That enemies will be those of one's own household. When Jesus said a mother and their mother-in-law, a mother and their daughter-in-law will be fighting with one another. A man's enemies will be in their own household. That's actually a quotation from the Minor Prophets. The illusion of the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus uses the whole episode of Jonah as a historical fact, not some cute story. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And people will say, well, that's just a story. He's using that story to talk about his resurrection. Was his resurrection real? Because if it was, then he's saying that what happened to Jonah was real. Not an allegory. Not some cute story. Something that truly happened, written down for us, specifically... God would use the circumstance of Jonah to point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pretty cool. The promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Not just the actual act of it, but the pointing back that this actually was prophesied. This event that you're seeing happened because the prophet Joel talked about it. The inclusion of the Gentiles as the people of God and inheritors of the promises of God through Jesus. I will call those people who are not my people, my people. That's you, that's me. Gentile believers in Christ. Equal 
and the inheritors of those promises through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Blessed are those feet who bring good news. You guys heard that? You guys know where that's found in the New Testament? Did you know that's a quotation from the Old Testament? In the Minor Prophets, nonetheless. Guess you're going to keep your eyes out for that one, aren't you? The return of Jesus and end times judgment. And while that's a historical fact that's going to happen, it's also a teaching we need to be very, very clear about as believers in Jesus. How he comes back. How people look for him. Where they're going to find him. Where they're not going to find him. All of those things are subjects covered in the Minor Prophets. And probably the most amazing, the most shocking one that is thrown out there. The defeat of death. A grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? You might know where it's at in the New Testament, but did you know it's actually a quote from the Minor Prophets? These are all the promises of God through the Minor Prophets. These are all the things you and I get to look forward to in studying this book together. I think one of the greatest places that we look at in, uh, in looking at these minor prophets is the fact that Paul kind of hinges his whole argument on faith. That's why faith we're saved through grace. It's a gift of God, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. His whole argument concerning faith actually has its origin in these Old Testament minor prophets. Habakkuk 2.4. Only three chapter book, right? The last half of Habakkuk chapter 4 is exactly what Paul quotes. But the righteous will live by faith. It was all there in the Old Testament. The same faith that God wanted the people of Israel to live by, he calls us to live by today. It's the basis for our faith in Jesus Christ, is believing in the promises of God that he set forth through these prophets to understand their role in revealing who Jesus was, God's faithfulness concerning his covenant promises both to Israel and to us. And understand that eternal life comes through to no other except Jesus himself. And someday, one day, he's going to come back and judge the world. All of that's in the Old Testament. All of that's in the section of Scripture. These 12 books that combined are about the same length as one of the major prophets. Like an Isaiah or a Jeremiah. That's what we'll be studying together. You guys excited about that? Does that sound pretty cool to you? Man, some of you might be kicking yourself. Man, I should have been reading reading the Minor Prophets all this time. Yeah, you should have. That's why we're doing it together. 
so that we can get the benefit of what it is and how Jesus is revealed in this section of Scripture. Understand prophecy better. A prophecy is out to glorify Jesus Christ among, above everything else. In Revelation, it says that the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all to go back to him because he receives the glory, honor, praise. Because God is faithful to his word and he's never told a lie. That's pretty cool. That's what we have to look forward to. We're going to be challenged these next few weeks as we walk through them, walk through them together. We're going to grow in our understanding of some of the times in which the people of Israel were hearing and those illusions to Jesus that God was trying to prepare their hearts so that when he came on the scene, they'd recognize him. That's what you and I need to do, right? We need to recognize Jesus in our day-to-day lives. With the uh, prophets, there it is a spirit, according to the scriptures, of anticipation. They weren't able to see their prophecies come to pass many times, especially as it was pertaining to Jesus. None of those prophets we just talked about would see Jesus in the flesh. They were hundreds of years before him. But it says in the scriptures that they longed to see the revelation of Jesus in the world. I believe 100%, and it's something that's been on my mind and heart a lot lately, that this idea of anticipation of Jesus, the anticipation of the return of Christ, the anticipation of him coming and us receiving The kingdom promised, right? To all of those who believe in Jesus Christ. To this place that he's prepared for us. That you and I are sometimes a little too distracted to anticipate. I believe, and some of you know this because I wrote a story recently around Christmas time for this. I believe that distraction is is the enemy of anticipation. I really do. I remember what it was like to live in rural Georgia where there was nothing to do. You know, you drive around and what do you do at the end of, the, at the end of your work shift? Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, everything's shut down. So what are you going to do? Well, you drive from the Walmart parking lot to the grocery store parking lot until the cops chase you off, and then you drive to the other parking lot. That, that's what you did. Am I wrong, Shannon? That's, that's literally what you did. That was your, your idea. Or you go back home, which at the time, you know, my dad had satellite TV and one TV, but it was not in the main TV of the house. And so you could get the antenna ears up, and you could get three whole channels. I have 3,000 on my phone. 40 billion things to distract me. So you know what I used to do when I first came to know Jesus Christ? My, my grandmother had this driveway that was a tenth of a mile long. And after I would come home, I would walk up and down that driveway literally for hours looking at the creation of God, praying to God. Because there was nothing else to do. And 
that was much more entertaining, much more fulfilling for me because I knew Jesus Christ than anything else. And yet, guess what? You live in the city, and it doesn't matter what age we're talking about, now or 100 years ago, it doesn't matter. There's always more stuff to do. Always something we can distract ourselves with to get more involved in this world. But the world and the things of this world are passing away. And they rob us of the anticipation that we're supposed to have for Jesus in our lives. And these minor prophets, when they're talking about Jesus... They're looking forward. Someday he's fulfilling his promise. He's given me a hint. This is what's going to happen. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's awesome. He's going to come up out of Egypt. That's amazing. He's going to conquer death and prepare a place for me forever. I can't wait to see that. And you and me, to our shame, the devil's success and our disappointment are too distracted to be as anticipating the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm not dissing things that we have, but when we're in an imbalance, what, what do we do? Well, we seek out our comfort in those distractions. I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. Hard day at work. Instead of going to the Lord, we go to the television set and watch a, a TV show or we go shopping or we go out just to get our minds off of it. Any of you relate? Any of you do those things? Got to go out and I just, just got to go do something else. I'm not dissing those things, but I'm saying when our first response is not to go back to Jesus and saying, I want to anticipate your kingdom. I want to anticipate your coming. That's what's real. This is just the illusion. It's the shadow. We lose that anticipation. No longer looking forward to Jesus. The power of Christ doesn't really work in our lives very well. And see, that's the opposite of what we see in the minor prophets. They're anticipating the coming of their Lord Jesus. They're anticipating that promised Messiah. They're anticipating these promises of God, whether they were dealing with the nation of Israel or they were dealing with the promised Messiah who was going to redeem Israel. And they were looking forward to those things taking place. Their hope was squarely put on God. And everything around them they saw clearly because they saw through the lens of a godly vision. See, I remember in my early walk with Jesus, I could go and do things and enjoy those things because everywhere I went, I would see Jesus in the middle of it because I was constantly in the word. I was constantly walking down that, that driveway, praying to God, looking for his glory, anticipating him in every place I went. And if that's not you, might I just suggest that you might be distracted by the things of this world that are passing away. We have the one who's defeated death. 
the one who's promised us a future, the one who's going to judge the world, and at the end of time, like the sign just down the street, God wins. God wins. And until you and I are anticipating that as a reality in our life that God is going to show up in that way, we'll never have the confidence to reach out and share the good news to somebody else because we won't be anticipating that God's in the middle of it at all. You can't preach the messages the prophets preached unless they were convinced it was the word of God. You can't. You can't do it. You can't stand on it. You can't stand when it's tough. If you don't believe, God's in the middle of it. I don't care what you do to me. God's in the middle of this. You can kill me. You can do whatever you want to me. I know this is the word of God. Doesn't work if we're not anticipating his interaction, right? Doesn't work if we're distracted. If we use that distraction to to snuff out our anticipation of what God has in store for us. I want that to be something that each of you and myself, take from the minor prophets as we look for the longing in their hearts and in their souls for the promises of God to be revealed in Jesus Christ. We still have promises to go. He hasn't come back yet. He hasn't redeemed the the faithful of this world and brought judgment upon this world yet. We have work to do. He said, I will always be with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We should walk in that confidence, in the anticipation that he's going to do something when we pray, when we reach out in the name of Jesus Christ because he said he was going to. But we can only do it when we're more confident in him than we are of this world. That's the message that the minor prophets are telling us. That's what we have to look forward to. I pray that encourages you and helps you to look forward to this. And hopefully by the end of all of this, you and I will be more looking forward to that kingdom with Jesus than we ever have before. And it will give us the courage to tell others about him. Blessed are the feet who bring good news. Do you stand with me? God, I thank you for today, and I just praise your name, dear Heavenly Father, for the promises that are included in these words of these minor prophets, Lord. And as we go through it together, may we anticipate learning more about you. May we anticipate these promises that have yet to be fulfilled, to be fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ, to give us confidence to walk in a world that isn't walking with you. We have, the, we have the words of life. We have the promise of death defeated. Oh God, help us to share with confidence to this world who needs to know. Help us not to be distracted and to take away distraction, Lord, but to have anticipation replace it. The anticipation of Jesus Christ in our lives, moving, living, active, and someday coming again. That will change everything, Lord. Help us to take your word as your word. To stand on it more than this world's word. The culture where we live and the truths that they're trying to distort, dear Heavenly Father. 
God, I pray that Jesus will be seen clearly through each of us. Not perfectly, but clearly. That all men might be drawn to you, Lord. That we might lift Jesus up. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for this start. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in need of prayer, our elders are going to be up front. We'll pray for any need that you have. We, we believe that God is living and active. We believe that he answers prayer. So come with that expectant heart. Otherwise, go out, live for Jesus, and anticipate his activity in your life this week. God bless you. Have a great week.